Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Steve Fowler. Before I get going into um, kind of this, our new series to keep going forward, let me just, first of all, explain my shoes. Um, because some of you may be going, wow, Fowler's got some pretty wild shoes. Um, last week, I gave Rob Basham a pretty hard time for preaching in tennis shoes. You weren't here last week. We kind of team taught the beginning of the series, and I kind of ripped on him a little bit for wearing tennis shoes and jeans. Man, who would preach in tennis shoes and jeans? And uh, <clears throat> so I said, hey, look, just to make it right with you, just give me a pair of your shoes. Um, your tennis shoes. And so uh, he, he gave me these. Uh, they're kind of like Joseph's coat of many colors, um, which I can't really appreciate because I'm colorblind. Um, but uh, they're kind of, when he first gave to me, I thought maybe they're his wife's shoes, but apparently they're, they're, they're his. They're actually pretty comfortable. So I'm, I'm enjoying them this weekend. But some of you are like, Mate, what is the deal with the shoes? That's the deal with the shoes. Now we can move on and actually get to the series and get into God's word together. So just had to talk about that. Hey, we did start a series calling Kingdom Come. We're talking about the kingdom of God. This is a topic that Jesus spent most of his time talking about and preaching on. Preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven, uh, healing the sick, and casting out demons. That's what, that, was, that was his job description as he was seeking saving the lost. And uh, yet Jesus spoke so much about this, and yet we're pretty foggy about what is the kingdom of God. What's it look like when the kingdom of God is breaking in and when it is advancing? And so we looked at Isaiah chapter 61 and identified these seven uh, signs of the kingdom. Uh, we talked about joy. And we talked about peace. And, and by the way, uh, the joy, the joy of salvation and peace that comes by being a friend of God was realized by three people last week. We got three roses over here on the platform by the cross. And J.C., Buell, and Elliot began a journey with Jesus. So we celebrate that good news. So we get joy and peace and justice belonging to one another, uh, uh, deliverance, God's presence, his manifest presence, and healing. And by the way, last week as we stood for healing and as we stood for the filling of the spirit and we prayed over one another, uh, someone watching on live stream sent this in and says, I want to share with you what God did as we were streaming the service at home. I stood for the fresh filling of the spirit and Holy Spirit came over me and I received a fresh new filling of the Spirit. It was glorious. I have asthma and asked the Lord for healing and he blessed me with a new way to manage it and I have been sleeping so much better. I am thankful for the Lord's blessing. Amen. We, I love it. I love it when God's presence breaks in. I love it when people experience healing. That's the kingdom, friends. Those are signs of the kingdom. And so we, we, and we talk about kingdom come. We, we, we prayed the Lord's Prayer this morning. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. These are the kinds of things, the, the realities of heaven. We're praying that those realities will come and be experienced here on earth. And those are, that's, that's some of them. Now, we want to define the kingdom. We did this last week, so I'm just getting this caught up here. The kingdom of God is a society in which God's will is done. This is just a clear, succinct explanation of what the kingdom of God is, a society in which God's will is done. Dallas Willard uh, wrote these words. He says, the Christian life is not about getting into heaven when you die. It's getting into heaven before you die. 
N.T. Wright, a theologian, uh, says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Right? Does, yes, we believe there's a heaven. We will be with Jesus forever in heaven. New heavens, new earth. Yes, we will be with him. But the reality is, is that as we have experienced salvation, we bring the kingdom ethos. We live out the, king, the customs of the kingdom. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we want to see the realities of that kingdom established here on earth. So we need crystal clear clarity on what we're saying, what that means, and what scripture is teaching about that. So that's what this series is all about. And in these next weeks, uh, we're, we're going to be kind of building on this idea from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where um, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Seek first. Jesus has just talked about, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. Don't be worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. All the earthly concerns, put those, those, are, those are not unimportant, they're important, but what's most important is seeking first the kingdom of God. That should be top priority. More important than what you're eating, more important than what you wear, more important than relationships, more important than the job that you work at is seeking first the kingdom. And in the weeks to come, in January, what we want to do is be clear on what is the pathway to seeking first the kingdom. How do you do that? We know it's a priority, but how do you make it a priority in your life? Now, there's an author, his name is Mitsuo Wakabayashi, and uh, he writes this. He says, seeking first the kingdom highlights the call to allegiance to the king to the integration of kingdom obedience to every dimension of life and holistic mission in our world. Allegiance, integration, mission. Use the acronym AIM, and if you aim at that, this is seeking the first, seeking first the kingdom of God. This is our aim, allegiance, integration, mission. Today, what I want to talk to us about is allegiance to King Jesus. And then we'll get into integrating what he teaches us. We'll talk about that next week. And then we'll get to, we'll get to mission at the end of the month. But So let's just begin with allegiance. Allegiance is, well, Marcus Junius Brutus. Edmund from The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. Edward Snowden. Peter Pettigrew from Harry Potter. Scar from The Lion King. Benedict Arnold from the American Revolutionary War, Judas Iscariot. They're all names. You may not know all those names, but they're all names either from the big screen or from, from history, from scripture, that embody this idea of treachery, betrayal, uh, unfaithfulness. These, these are the virtues that, that people don't admire. We admire faithfulness. We admire, we admire loyalty. We want people around us who are watching out for, who have our back. And, uh, and so the, these, are the, these are the kind of, uh, kind of folks we are, we're just, yeah, we're inspired by. We read our Bibles, and man, when you get to the story of Daniel, we love Daniel. We teach our kids in Sunday school songs like, Dare to Be a Daniel. I don't know if they teach that anymore, but they taught us that when I was in Sunday school. We, we love stories of, of Daniel refusing to stop his prayer life because he might, he might be, uh, he might be, killed for that, and you know, we, we love the lion's den story. We, we love the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
standing in a plane and all these people, giant idol, 90 foot tall, and the music plays and you're supposed to bow down. And everyone bows down except these three guys. Oh, they, they inspire us. Their actions, their behavior of loyalty and allegiance to God, they inspire us and we want to be like them. We love that. And those are just a few names. Hebrews chapter 11, we get, we get folks who are, we don't even get told their names. They suffer for Jesus. They don't see this side of heaven, the kind of rescue that others did see. They're the unnamed ones, the unnamed martyrs. And you probably know from church history that the early church was brutally, brutally persecuted by Roman emperors. Persecution breaks out shortly after Jesus ascends. And uh, for centuries, this kind of persecution takes place. There's a church father, his name is Eusebius, and he writes about some who were persecuted in France. This is several centuries after Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. Eusebius writes this about these ones who were persecuted. They were so zealous in their imitation of Christ that though they had attained honor and had borne witness not once or twice, but many times, having been brought back to prison from being thrown to the wild beasts, covered with burns and scars and wounds, they didn't proclaim themselves martyrs, nor did they allow us to address them by this name. If any of us, in a letter or a conversation, called them a martyr, they rebuked us sharply. They reminded us of the martyrs who had already departed and said, they are martyrs whom Christ has deemed worthy to be taken up in their confession, having sealed their testimony by their departure. We are simply lowly, humble confessors. Wouldn't you love to be in a church with people like that? I and mean, that's just inspiring. It's absolutely inspiring to be around people like that. It's like, nah, don't call me a martyr. I'm still alive. I may have some scars and some wounds. But uh, the people who are martyrs, actually, those are the ones who have gone to the grave because of their allegiance to King Jesus. And friends, can I just say that, you know, if, if there is a threat to our allegiance, um, I think that you know, if there was a lion's den in our future, if there was some coliseum with wild beasts in our future, if there were uh, a plane that we all had to stand in and there was a giant idol and the music were to play and we we're supposed to bow down, uh, as I think about the church, I actually think that most of the church would not bow down to that idol. They would not be afraid of a lion's den. I think, I think most of the church, many people would stand as faithful and loyal and complete in their allegiance to King Jesus. I honestly believe that. I do believe that. And, and yet, at the same time, I have another belief. And it's this. I believe the pathway to becoming like a Judas, the pathway to being a, a spiritual Benedict Arnold, so to speak, I don't believe comes in a Colosseum or a lion's den. I actually think in these days it's much more subtle. Oh, it could. I think it's just more subtle today. I think the pathway to compromising our allegiance to King Jesus comes in much more subtle fashion. It doesn't come in a lion's den or a Roman Colosseum, and that's what I want to talk to us about today as we seek first the kingdom. As we make this our aim and we begin with allegiance, we have to understand that there are very subtle ways that, that, 
the enemy of the church, the enemy of our souls, would love to undermine our faithfulness to Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to point out three ways that I think the subtle path, these subtle pathways are happening. Three ways it happens. And with them, I want, to, I want to bring in three spiritual practices that will keep us in the way of Jesus. I want to highlight, this is not an exhaustive list, just three that I think are important to understand today. Three ways that our allegiance to Jesus can be undermined. And then three spiritual practices to keep us in the way of Jesus. So let me just dive right in and name the first one. And the first one is consumerism. In fact, if I was preaching this sermon three or four years ago, I would say this is probably the number one thing that would, would cause us to stray from our allegiance to Jesus. Um, I, I think it may, may, may have changed over the years. It's still a very serious one. And um, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches on this. I mean, he speaks right to this in Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel. Uh, we'll put these words on the screen. Uh, Matthew writes, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It it's, can't be any clearer than that. Jesus is saying, you can't, you can't have two masters. Your devotion will be split. You'll, be, you, you, you won't, you'll hate one and love the other. And, uh, and money is, is one of the issues that gets at us. Get at, gets at us. And it's not bad to have wealth, and it's not bad to have stuff. What's dangerous is when your stuff has you. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. In fact, just to help us feel this a little bit, would you grab your purse or your wallet for a moment? Seriously, grab, grab your, your purse or your wallet. <clears throat> Open it up and look inside of it where, where, you, where you keep your money or credit cards are. Some of you are maybe disappointed. Do this in house church too. Those of you are online. Look inside. Yep, still empty. Look at it. Now, here's what I want you to do. You, by the way, you're looking into the temple of mammon. This is what Jesus talks about. You, 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 can't, you can't love this and love him. Now, pull out the largest bill you have in there. And if you don't have any bill in there, pull, pull out a credit card. Hold it up. Do this in your house, churches, too, online. Okay, you holding up? Now, give it to the person behind you. Can you feel? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep your credit card, okay? Can you feel it? There's something in it. It's like, I am not handing my credit card away. No, thank you. Okay, calm down. All right. Be anxious for nothing. But everything, give thanks. And, no, yeah. It's a strong pull. It's the same for me. And Jesus speaks very clearly. If we fall in love with this, again, it's not wrong to have credit. It's not wrong to have money. It's just that when your money has you, then, then you start, your, your allegiance to Jesus can be compromised. Uh, Jesus, uh, again, speaking. Because, by the way, um, the spiritual practice to go after this, this idea of consumerism, materialism, and not giving in to the more monster is generosity. We have a very generous God. You, you do know that your God is not stingy. He's not stingy. He's very generous. And one of the ways that we can guard our hearts, as the writer of Proverbs says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life, one of the ways we do this is by being generous. And God has given the gift of the spiritual discipline of tithing to actually protect us. And I'm talking to you about tithing, and I can do this without sounding self-serving, right? Because I'm gone in a week. Tithing is, this is actually, this is a spiritual discipline that God has given us to protect our hearts from wandering from Jesus. It's a gift. Now, 
Every once in a while I have a conversation with someone, they say, well, yeah, but it's not in the New Testament. You read about it in the Old Testament, you don't really hear it in the New Testament. So let me just show you, it, it is in the New Testament. Jesus actually speaks to it. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe. Yes, there it is. You should tithe. Yes, but do not neglect the more important things. And the more important things in this context are justice and the love of God. But Jesus is affirming the spiritual discipline of tithing because being generous with our, what we have, the stuff we have, whether it's a lot or a little, is one of the ways we protect ourselves from the more monster called consumerism. In fact, Paul even goes a little bit farther and he, he lays out some principles for us in, in his letters to the church in Corinth. He begins by saying, give consistently, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, don't panic that you, yeah, I haven't been doing it weekly. They didn't have direct deposit like every two weeks or once a month. Their, their income cycles were, were daily and weekly. But the point here, the, the point is consistently. Give consistently. The second thing that Paul will say is uh, to give joyfully. Each one must give as they have decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Give consistently, give joyfully, and the last one is give generously. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, let me just speak this moment because I remember when Trina and I were first married, <clears throat> I'm like a fourth generation pastor missionary. You would think like tithing would be like piece of cake. No. I, believe me, I felt the pull of the wallet. And yet, Tree and I realized this is something we need to engage in. And so the tithe literally means a tenth, so 10%. And we can give tithes and offerings, <clears throat> so above and beyond the 10%. But Tree and I, just, we, we just like, ah. So we just pick the number. Let's just start, let's pick a percentage, and then every year, let's just add a percent and grow until we get to a tithe. And as we did that, we realized this is kind of fun. It's kind, of, it's kind of fun giving the high school students who are going on mission trips. It's kind of fun to support the ministry of our church and the vision that's be, behind it. And before long, as we grew our tithe, then we were able to give the special offerings. But you have to begin somewhere. So even as I'm speaking about tithing, some of you think, there's no way I can afford that. Just start somewhere. Just start. start. Maybe, maybe it's starting at 10%, or maybe it's just starting somewhere lower and adding a percentage along the way. Because what you're doing, friends, is you're guarding your heart from the more monster. And consumerism, think about this. You know the name Judas Iscariot. John 12, Judas says, after Mary has poured out all this perfume on Jesus' feet, that this is wrong. We should have taken this perfume and we should have sold it and we could have cared for the poor. And John just adds a little footnote. Yeah, he said that because he was stealing money from the treasury. Ah, uh, it got him. And if you're not convinced it didn't get him in, you know, in John 12, just, I mean, come on. He sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He, his allegiance to Jesus was compromised by 30 pieces of silver combined with some disappointment and how Jesus was going to usher in his kingdom. Consumerism will get you. But the spiritual practice to guard your heart is generosity. Here's the second one. The second one is individualism. <clears throat> individualism. 
it's becoming me-centered, self-absorbed, and, um, and, and, and not connecting with the larger uh, spiritual community. You, you, you may not know this, but the book of Hebrews, many scholars believe the book of Hebrews was written um, because there, there were a lot of Jewish priests who gave their lives to Jesus. Acts chapter 6, verse 12 highlights that. Many Jewish priests leaving the temple, following in the way of Jesus. And some believe that the book of Hebrews, because it's so full of temple language and so full of sacrificial language, like if you read the book of Hebrews, it's kind of hard to get your head around it. It's because it's written to a specific group of people, theologians believe. And these are Jewish priests who are actually leaving. Their allegiance to Jesus is being compromised, and they're going back to Judaism. And so you get this very uh, deep theological book, the book of Hebrews, that is written. And in that book, there are 14 let us statements. Not let us like in your salad lettuce, but let us. Like, let us draw near them with a confidence for the throne. Uh, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race. Let us provoke one another to love and to good deeds. They're all these statements, frankly, of spiritual practices that are to strengthen your allegiance to King Jesus. One of those let us statements is in this, this book of Hebrews. Uh, we'll put up on the screen here. Uh, it's this, let us not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord coming. Every so often, I get into a conversation with someone who's saying, you know what, Steve, I, am a, I don't know if I really connect God, with God well in a, in a church service or in a small group. Where I really connect with God is out in nature. And, and I get that. I mean, I love the outdoors. I love the beauty of the outdoors. I'm, I'm always drawn to the worship of the creator when I'm in his creation. And, and yet, when you throw it in the context of, well, I, I'm going to go there rather than here, can I just tell you that, I'm going to just try to search my memory on this one. Of all the people that have had a conversation with about something like that, their hot heart that once was hot is now lukewarm. And in some cases, some of these folks are no longer followers of Jesus. There's something about being together in spiritual community. In fact, that's the spiritual practice, is engaging in spiritual community. There's something about being together that actually protects us from going the way of a spiritual Benedict Arnold. Like our allegiance is strengthened. Uh, there's people who are a little bit farther ahead of us in the spiritual life that can pour their life into us. There are people that we can encourage in the journey as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, the writer of Proverbs says. I, I wish you could meet Jesse. Jesse's a friend of mine in our first church. Jesse came home from work one day, went to his, his, his home, and his home was completely empty. All his furniture's gone. All his appliances are gone. His wife is gone, as is his son. His wife left him. Only thing left in the house was a note saying that she was gone. Word got out <clears throat> to his small group. And, um, and by the way, Jesse's not perfect. If he was here, he'd tell you he's not perfect. But he was part of a small group, a spiritual community that loved him but weren't impressed by him. 
And in less than 12 hours, his entire home was furnished, appliance, washer and dryer, refrigerator, couch, and a bed to sleep on. Because there were people around him who loved and cared for him. Friends, the pull of individualism is to the isolated life. And when you become isolated, it's so easy for the enemy then to start picking you off and draw you away from your allegiance to King Jesus. Consumerism will undermine your allegiance. Individualism will undermine your allegiance. Here's the last one I want to speak to us about today. It's nationalism. Nationalism. A year ago, this last week, is an event that took place that people are still trying to get their head around. January 6, 2021, the U.S. Capitol was stormed. You don't need pictures for me to show to you about that day. You, you know the pictures. You, you can visualize them in your head. And while there was much that went on, the loss of life, trauma that was experienced, yes, damaged property, but more so damaged people. While there's so much more that, that, that went on that day, the one thing that disturbs me the most about that day is that somehow Jesus got drug into it. Somehow on January 6, 2021, Jesus got drugged into the storming of the Capitol. There were banners that said, Jesus 2020. There were people holding up signs that said, Jesus saves. There were people wearing shirts with crosses on them. And somehow, Jesus got drugged into the storming of the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Now, I, there's questions we need to answer. I mean, do, it, it, yeah, but is, is this group of people that stormed the Capitol, are they, are they part of a fringe group? Yeah, I, th I think so. The, the people who stormed the Capitol, do they represent the church because they, brung, they brought G, drug Jesus into it? I, I don't think so. Am I on thin ice for even talking about this? Probably, but we have to talk about it. And even as I talk about it, I have to tell you, it's not wrong to love your country. It's actually a good thing to love your country. It's actually a biblical thing to love your country and to steward the resources of your country. That's a good thing. I love July 4th. I love fireworks. I love the food on July 4th. I love singing the Star Spangled Banner. I could also sing you the National Anthem of Hong Kong, which God Save the Queen, which we stole that tune when we wrote My Country Tis of Thee, but that's a whole other story. And I also know the National Anthem of Malaysia, where I grew up. And by the way, the Independence Day in Malaysia is on my birthday. So that was very convenient growing up as a kid. And I won't sing Nagaraku to you because it's painful and we don't have time. It's not wrong to love your country. There is a reason why people all around the world are lining up at embassies trying to get into our country. There are some great things that are happening in our country. Beautiful things about our history and who we are as a people. It's wonderful. But something devastating and dangerous happens when we take love of nation and we merge it with our spirituality. It becomes dangerous. And by the way, friends, this is not an American problem. This is a human problem. This is not the first time this has happened. Go back to 1719. There's a pastor named Isaac Watts. He wrote a lot of hymns, hymns we love, hymns we sing. Oh, God, our help in ages past, when I survey the wondrous cross, joy to the world. They're awesome hymns. They're great hymns. 
And Watts was a brilliant mind. And Watts, trying to personalize the message of Scripture, took some of the Psalms and he rewrote the Psalms. What he did was he took out when sometimes when the name Israel was there, he took out Israel and then put in his country's name in that psalm. Let me just read one for you just to get a feel for it. Uh, this is Psalm 47. The British islands are the Lord's. There Abraham's God is known. While powers and princes, shields and swords submit before his throne. Feels pretty innocent. I, I like personalizing a psalm, but then you get to some psalms and it just makes you like, oh, I, I don't know if that makes me feel comfortable. Here's Psalm 20, put it on the screen. Watch leaves Israel in there, but he says, in his salvation is our hope, and in the name of Israel's God, our troops shall lift their banners up, our navies spread their flags abroad. Now, the British military is involved. And now you can see, what, uh, okay, now, now we're, we're taking salvation in the Navy and with our troops. And this con- continues. And again, this, this, this isn't inherent to one people group. This is a human, human problem. You get going a little bit farther. You get to the late 1920s and early 1930s in, in Europe, and you have the German church, the German state church, who after a significant loss in World War I is really struggling, and a wave of patriotism rises. It's, it's, that's a good thing, to love your country. A wave of patriotism rises in the nation, and the state church is so deeply involved in this patriotism and love of country that they, 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 before long, they're following a leader. You don't even need me to tell you the, the leader's name. They begin following leader and, and they get swept up in, in their patriotism and embrace nationalism. And the entire German state gets stuck along, except for one leader who steps, you know his name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He begins the confessing church and he loses his life in the mid-20th century because of nationalism. And it keeps going. There have been over a million textbooks. The, the name of the textbook is Light and Glory. <clears throat> over a million textbooks of this, this book to American or U.S. Christian private schools, Light and Glory. And um, in, this, in this textbook, it's, it's, it's a decent textbook, but there's some things that start to lead astray. You go, to, go to page 20 of the textbook and you read this. In America, God was making his most significant attempt since ancient Israel to create a new Israel of people living in obedience to the laws of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The writers of the textbook say that, that there was this covenant with Israel and now God is doing something he's not done before in all of human history through the country of America, a covenant, but America is breaking that covenant because they've engaged in sins of homosexuality and abortion, and so on and so forth. And, and if you're not, by the way, this is a disastrous teaching. Disastrous teaching. Here's why. Because instead of the church being the prophetic voice of judgment and blessing in whatever nation they're in, suddenly God's presence is given to a political state and and the kingdom is attempted to be ushered in by the state. This is the very thing the disciples tried to understand when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. Jesus, are you going to usher in the kingdom now? Are you going to kick the Romans out? Are we taking over now? 
I, I would love to have seen Jesus' face that, at that moment. Guys, it's been three and a half years. I'm leaving. I'll come back. And there's something about pursuing the kingdom. The kingdom is a society in which God's will is done that we are drawn to, to bring in the kingdom and get God's will done in society through political motivations. And I think actually when hearts are changed, laws are changed. And by the way, if you work for the state, if you work for the city, if you work for the federal government, thank you so much for what you do. You are an influence in a very important part of our world. Your, your service and your contribution is vital. But we need to be crystal clear on understanding the role of the church and the role of state and avoid this danger of nationalism that leads to trying to usher in the kingdom in ways that just aren't done in the way of Jesus. And sometimes, like Watts, we use scripture to do this. Not too long ago, at a political convention, scripture was rewrote. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I want you to hear what God's word says. It's the end of verse 1. Let us, there's a let us statement, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's holy word. Now, I want to read to you how this was rewritten recently. So let's run the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on old glory. Let's pause right there. Jesus got replaced by the flag. Let's fix our eyes on old glory and all she represents. Let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. Okay, now, not, now we've not only replaced Jesus with old glory, now we're engaging in syncretism, which is basically merging in things that are important and it's Jesus and God. And anytime we say God and something, you're about to identify the idol. And let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and our freedom and never forget that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That means freedom always wins. Friends, <clears throat> the fact that that was spoken at a national political convention and the church was not outraged is shocking to me. Shocking to me. And, and you've heard me say this before, so let me say it again. You need to know, Jesus is not a Democrat. Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is king. He's king. And we have to be very careful. Because, friends, consumerism, individualism, and nationalism, it's very subtle. I don't believe the way forward in our allegiance to King Jesus being undermined is in a Colosseum or in a lion's den. It could be. I think most Christians will be faithful. I think some of these things we've talked about have been undermining our faith. And we have to declare, if we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, 
We must make Jesus king and bring everything under his lordship and then integrate what he has to say to us in our life. We'll talk about that next week. Here's your spiritual practice. We're talking about generosity. Talk about spiritual community. Here's spiritual practice. Familiarize, familiarize yourself, over-familiarize yourself with the Sermon on the Mount. We have to ask ourselves the question, what's more important to us? The Bill of Rights or the Sermon on the Mount? I'm not saying the Bill of Rights is bad. It's, it's quite beautiful. But we mustn't confuse the teachings of Jesus with any nation's agendas. We must over-familiarize ourselves with the text. For some of us, it's this next week, it's just reading through the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe for some of you, it's memorizing the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's pretty long. You thought this sermon was long. Just like three chapters. Maybe it's memorizing. In fact, as I close, and the team's going to come join me up here, I want to read some of it for us. I want to read this most famous sermon that Jesus preached as it's captured by Matthew. <clears throat> Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few Find it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door is open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And don't we need the gift of his Spirit in order to obey this verse 48 of chapter 5? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The bar is high. The way is counterintuitive. And the King reigns. And this morning, as Sean and Greta continue to lead us, I want to invite you to use this moment. Jesus, are you, anything to say to me about the stuff I have? Anything to say about my connection to spiritual community? Anything to say to me about any draw to nationalism? Let's restate, reestablish our allegiance to our King Jesus as we continue to worship him. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.